year is 1998, a time when Britney Spears was the sweetheart of MTV's new Total Request Live. The MP3 player was a controversial new gadget, and Titanic dominated the Oscars. It is important to remember that the internet wasn't the refined smartphone-accessible Instagram or TikTok social network that it is today. After its launch in 1991, the internet we know now has become more than just an extensive resource. It is now a way to stay in contact with friends and family, a way to keep up to date with the world, a source of entertainment, and the backbone for a number of businesses. Roughly 4.66 billion people around the world use the internet today. But back in 1998, things were very different. In the 90s, there weren't many internet users. In fact, in 1998, only 9% of the households in the world had access to the internet. A shocking statistic compared to the 95% of households who have access today in 2021. With such limited internet access in households, it meant that most internet usage would have had to been done at work by adults in a public library or library or even in an internet cafe. <laughs> library. <laughs> by 1998, the internet had only existed for seven years, meaning it was very new and people didn't trust it, probably because they didn't really understand it. Also, Wi-Fi didn't exist. Access to the internet was slow, frustrating, and even excruciatingly painful when waiting on things to load. One evening in July 1998, on the high desert in the great American Southwest, on the late night paranormal themed radio show Coast to Coast AM, the infamous host Art Bell read a captivating letter he was sent via fax from a man claiming to be from the future. Dear Art, I had to fax when I heard other time travelers calling in from any time past the year 2500 AD. Please let me explain. Time travel was invented in 2034. Offshoots of certain successful fusion reactor research allowed scientists at CERN to produce the world's first contained singularity engine. The basic design involves rotating singularities inside a magnetic field. By altering the speed and direction of rotation, you can travel both forward and backward in time. Time itself can be understood in terms of connected lines. When you go back in time, you travel on your original timeline. When you turn your singularity engine off, a new timeline is created due to the fact that you and your time machine are now there. In other words, a new universe is created. To get back to your original line, you must travel a split second farther back and immediately throw the engine into forward without turning it off. Some interesting outcomes of this are, one, you meet yourself. I have done it often, even taken a younger version of myself along for a few rides before returning myself to the new timeline and going back to mine. Two, you can alter history in the new universe that you have just created. Most of the time, the changes are subtle. Sometimes, I'll notice car models that don't exist or books that come out late. The oldest one was a skyscraper that wasn't built in a near favorite store of mine in New York. Interestingly, 
when you travel in time, you must compensate for the orbit of the Earth. Since the time machine doesn't move, you have to adjust the engine so you remain on the planet when you turn it off. Unfortunately, it was also discovered that anyone going forward in time from my 2036 hit a brick wall in the year 2564. Everyone who has ever been there has reported that nothing exists. When the machine is turned off, you find yourself surrounded by blackness and silence. Now, most time travelers are trying to find out where the line went bad by going into the past, creating a new universe, and proceeding forward to see if the same thing results in 2564. It appears the line went bad around the year 2000. I'm here now, in this time, to test a few theories of mine before going forward. Now, for the future you might want to know about. 1. Y2K is a disaster. Many people die on the highways when they freeze to death trying to get warmer weather. 2. The government tries to keep power by instituting martial law, but all of it collapses when their efforts to bring the power back up fail. 3. A power facility in Denver is able to restart itself, but is mobbed by hundreds of thousands of people and destroyed. This convinces most that maybe we shouldn't bring the old system back up. 4. A few years later, communal government system is developed. After the constitution takes a few twists. China retakes Taiwan, Israel wins the largest battle for their life, and Russia is covered in nuclear snow from their collapsed reactors. Art, the reason I'm here now is because I believe a nuclear weapon set up by Iraq in the Middle East war with Israel might have something to do with the damaged timeline. I will test that theory and get back to you. Please pray that we discover the reason why there is no apparent future after 2564. And then, just like that, he was gone. After that, we heard nothing for over two years. Then, in the fall of 2000, an unknown man signed up on a message board with the username TimeTravel underscore zero and jumped into a discussion about time travel. He posted, Greetings, I'm a time traveler from the year 2036. I'm on my way home after getting an IBM 5100 computer system from the year 1975. My time machine is a stationary mass temporal displacement unit manufactured by General Electric. That's hilarious to me. I think that's even cooler. Have a toaster, have a time machine. The unit is powered by two top-spin dual-positive singularities that produce a standard offset Tipler sinusoid. I will be happy to post pictures of the unit. From day one, John Teeter started fielding a lot of questions, both from believers and disbelievers. What separated Teeter from the everyday crank call, though, was the level of detail he provided. Rather than sticking to vague fortune cookie platitudes, Teeter's answers were precise. In one post, he said, My initial flight was from 2036 to 1975, 61 years. I then went from 1975 to 2000, 25 years. Later this year, one of two favorable windows will open, and I will return to my 2036. I am here now for personal reasons. He described everything from the mechanics of his time machine, the physical feeling of time travel, some of the quantum physics that make it all possible, 
and gave us a peek into what his future and day-to-day life was like. Dire details about civil wars in the U.S., government collapsing, and even possibly the end of the world. After a very active few months on this forum, and later the Art Bell forums, his final post was on March 24, 2001, at 3.35 p.m. In it, he noted that he would be, quote, leaving this world line shortly. He answered a few final questions and signed off with one final piece of advice. Bring a gas can with you when the car dies on the side of the road. Farewell. Hey, all you time travelers and Art Bell fans, welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We are your hosts, Woody Brown and Tyler Bentz. How's it going, dude? What's up, bro? Man, holy cow. Where do we begin, man? Well, first off, I got to say... This is one of my all-time favorite stories of all time. I mean, it, <laughs> a lot of all times there. Hey, yeah, actually, kind of plays to the to the topic. Oh yeah, multiple, multiple times. times. Um, yeah, I love that era of like early internet, like message boards and like sort of pre-internet mysteries and that kind of thing. And again, we we were talking yesterday, and neither of us can remember how this topic even came up, but. Yeah, man, this was actually, I think, if, I, if I'm if i remembering correctly, I mean, this is probably the, one of the first things that you ever mm-hmm. kind of introduced me to. And I think it's because, as we both know, and, and listeners, if you've been following along, you know I have this, like, fascination with, like, time travel yeah. and all the possibilities surrounding it, mm-hmm. right? And over time, we've kind of talked about the different theories and stuff, and we'll dive into it. But I remember the first time that you told me about this, it was kind of like how you usually introduce things, which is like, I mean, you have heard of John Teeter, right? And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. What is that? And then that always triggers like this endless research and reading. And I'm pretty sure that the next like, I don't know, man, week or so, I did nothing mm-hmm. but read about this. And yeah. so it's just so interesting to me. Like you said, I don't know how, I don't even remember how when we were talking about what we wanted to do next in terms of episodes how we landed on this. But once we did, it was like, oh my gosh, man. So it sort of like reignited that um, that fire about this topic. And it fits so perfectly into the things that we've kind of talked about here recently with the the Mandela mm-hmm. effect and yep. and even like, you know. Sort um, of interdimensional. Yeah, UFOs, multiverse. interdimensional things, multiverses, all of that yeah. stuff. I mean, I think a good place to start kind of uh, so that we can give the listener more context to this story. And by the way, there's just so much about this topic that one of the things that I hope anybody listening does after this show is go and dive in and research. I mean, there are pages and pages Mm -hmm. and pages of of this guy's uh, forum posts, and we'll put all the links up and do all of that, but it's just one of the most captivating stories that I've ever, that I've ever heard. Ever heard. 
Yeah, and and another fascinating thing is, you know, there, there's just this endless amount of of uh, this back and forth between, you know, John Teeter, a time traveler, and all these other people on on the message boards. But in reality, this only went on went sort of on for what did we decide? Like five? Yeah, months? I mean, it was months? like November November of two thousand to March of two thousand one. So you got November, December, January, February, March. So five yeah, months, five months of like very being very active on these message mm-hmm. boards, answering questions, and and you'll see when you know. And I'll read some of them here, but there's just so much that you know we could do a ten hour show reading each one of the entries. But like the person claiming to be John Teeter mm-hmm. doesn't just shy away from these these. Very interesting questions, and and you know, sort of like skeptical people try to trip him up and stuff, and and we'll kind of get through all of that stuff as well. But I think first, let's talk about okay, just the basics. Okay. You know, John Teeter one hundred and one. Who is he? Where does he say he's from? What's he doing? Well, he is a time traveler from mm-hmm. the year uh, twenty thirty six. Mm-hmm. He. In 2036, he lives on an army base with his family in Tampa. He was born in 1998, and when he's supposed... So basically, which you already said at the top of the show, but his initial mission, basically, was to go back to 1975 to retrieve this computer called an IBM 5100, which that kind of can get a little... There's a lot to it. So long story short, the IBM 5100 was basically obviously created by IBM. And oddly enough, this thing in 1975 was $19,000. So hmm. this wasn't just like, and, and another thing too is, you know, when he posted about all this stuff, you know, try to set the stage for the time. I mean, like you said earlier, 9% of households, you know, even owned a computer. And yeah, man. so just having a computer wasn't a normal thing at all. Uh, you know, much mm-hmm. less a cell phone access to the yeah, internet. Yeah, any. Oh, I mean, really, the internet even back then was a bunch of wonky sites with some weird flash animation and uh, mm-hmm. and like these message boards, which were kind of like you know what we would think of as like forums now. Um, mm-hmm. But his initial reason was to go back to get this computer because th- this special computer could, I think it's called like ALS. Uh, it, it could it could speak like different programming languages, which mm-hmm. was kind of a big deal for computers at the time. Like, uh, and and the thing is, is IBM didn't even come out. Keep in mind, this is 1975. IBM didn't come out and even admit that that this even had that this was even a capability on the machine until 2012. You know, very few people even knew about this. No outsiders outside of you know, I, the company, yeah. I would even say outside of the, the development team, you yeah. know, supposedly it was like pretty, pretty hush hush, but you know, this computer could talk to, um, what's called basic, what's called, I think ALS, it could speak to like different sort of operating platforms or systems or whatever. And so, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the debunkers go to, well, why did they need that? Da, 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 da. Well, there was this sort of a post-apocalyptic event where Russia bombed the U.S. and... There's a huge, like, civil war. Um, yeah, it, it kind of reset everything. So so to, you know, it's kind of like 
like we all have phones in our pockets, but say something happens, all of our systems go down, uh, we have to start from scratch. Yeah, we have, here's a phone. No, nobody knows how to build a phone. So mm-hmm. you would start back at the most basic sort of starting point of that, mm-hmm. that you know, thing and then sort of reverse engineer and work, work your way back up. And so that's why I think, uh, you know, a lot of the skeptics get hung up on that. But that's why I, that's sort of the, the rationale that I, I go with as far as like yeah. why he did it. I guess the computer itself, what it wasn't ALS. It's called APL. APL, that's it. And God, yeah, so it's like basic APL and some system language. And essentially, um, he in one of his uh, forums on the Art Bell forum, he talks about how the fifty one hundred had a very simple and unique feature mm-hmm. that IBM did not account for and decided it was not in their best interest to advertise. Yeah. And this accidental feature was then removed from the future computers. And so he had to go back to uh, get that. And what's interesting is, um, and you kind of alluded to this, but some of the IBM engineers later came forward and said, look, I don't know if that guy is a time traveler or not, but everything he said about this machine is true. And maybe only 20 people knew about that. 20 people, right? Out of a huge corporation. Mm -hmm. Of course, IBM was growing, you know, at that time, but still, it's like well, and also, like you said, I mean, I think that's, uh, I, and I didn't know this, uh, but like you just said, that I think this is a, a a pretty strong selling point is, you know, they 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 had this this capability in this computer, and you know, you would think, oh, well, this is amazing, like this could open doors to like many new things, but then they they were so like hush hush about it, and so wanting to keep it closed, like the lid closed on this, that they didn't offer it on any later computers. That's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Yeah. And I didn't know that. That's yeah. that's pretty cool, though. And so he also describes himself, you know, being a soldier as early as like 13 yeah. and, um, you know, describes, you know, his his future as a lot simpler in terms of, so there's like this I guess tons and tons of war, death due to disease mm-hmm. and all these kind of like dire things um, that he describes in one of these posts. But he also describes how because of that, life became a little bit more simple. People started living a little bit more, like a lot more like rurally. Um, <laughs> oh, fudge. Oh, it's usually uh, me who's yeah, no. that word. You know, growing their own food, mm-hmm. doing that kind of things. I mean, things that kind of, I mean, Oddly enough, man, kind of parallel what happened over the last year in 2020 because of the pandemic and stuff. Like people, especially the, those early like first five months of it all. Yeah. You know, people kind of figuring out, okay, well, I've got to figure out something to do with my time. And also I kind of want to become a little bit more self-sufficient and um, not have to worry so much about mass production of food and stuff like that, just in case it's hard to find or something, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, he describes all that kind of stuff going on in in his timeline. Now we're going to talk about timelines and stuff. And before we start getting into what his time machine was like and stuff, I think it is probably a pretty good time to talk about like the quote unquote mini worlds interpretation. And in, in another little like quick disclaimer, listener, we're going to, I and, and Tyler, we're going to try to not get too in the weeds on the science oh, stuff, no, we're not. but just bear with us because there are some really intriguing aspects of it all that 
man, I really, really, really enjoy. Yeah. And, and kind of one of the, the explanations that I heard about time travel in general is one of the best that I've, that I've heard mm-hmm. ever. So, okay, let's talk about the many worlds interpretation. So it was originally created by a guy named Hugh Everett yeah. in 1956, okay? And so he proposed something called the relative state formulation mm-hmm. of quantum mechanics. And the name uh, many worlds came about courtesy of a uh, 1967 book of physics papers called the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, uh, which was edited by a guy named Bruce Selig- oh, Seligman, DeWitt, and Neil Graham, and contained Everett's dissertation. And it kind of go and it, it ha- and here's a little piece of it. It says, and this is just so cool, man. We typically think of history as unfolding in a line with paths untaken remaining just that, untaken, Mm -hmm. and therefore unrealized. By this mode of thought, there's just one universe and we're living in it. The many worlds interpretation, however, holds that the paths untaken in one universe have been taken in another. That is that everything that could have possibly occurred has occurred just not necessarily in the same universe. Each path exists in its own universe and all of those universes exist simultaneously. And so this is what those initial coast-to-coast AM faxes seem to be describing. Every action you take creating a new universe as does every action you don't take. This is true for literally Everyone and everything in the world. Ultimately, there are infinite number of universes all existing simultaneously mm-hmm. in which each and every possible outcome from a situation occurs. Yeah. As a result, typically the issues we usually think about when considering time travel, like the butterfly effect, for example, may not be applicable in a many world situation. According to the facts writer, when you create a un- new universe, you can freely alter history within it. It also, it's not a problem if you meet yourself uh, you know, like they're doing Back to the Future or whatever, as you're dealing not with the same you in a different time, but with a different you altogether. Yeah, so that's like, in a nutshell, the many worlds interpretation, which, again, we've kind of gone over multiple times on our show, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, well, one thing I would like to to insert in this uh, sort of portion is, you know, the the idea that time travel is more in the vein of like dimensional travel or interdimensionality or sort of sort of multiversal travel I guess that was something that I mean you know I, I think we well Woody and I you know we're in our late 30s Woody's in his 50s and you know we view oh, these come things on. as uh, we we look at the 2000s as oh well that's not really that long ago but I mean mm-hmm. you know 20 years ago and that stuff just wasn't the deal. I mean, it, it's funny because all the skeptics can say, oh, well, you know, he he was just ripping off Back to the Future and yada, yada, yada. But mm-hmm. none of his, 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 um, his time travel theories had anything to do with that. So basically what he's saying is, is uh, you know, you, he kind of de- debunked the idea of like the what's called the the bootstrap paradox or the grandfather paradox where mm-hmm. if you go back inside and you kill your grandfather then you disappear he totally said no that that isn't the case what what i'm doing is i'm i'm basically jumping 
into another dimension, you know, next door to our dimension. And so, yes, I'm affecting a, a timeline per se, but I'm affecting a timeline that's not my own. So mm-hmm. while, you know, I don't know, morally it may be not the greatest thing, it, the, the, it didn't really matter because the outcome was only changing in his particular timeline. And mm-hmm. I, I saw it broke down, and, and I think I did this forever ago, but he, and I, well, I don't know if he said this or, or, or what, but basically he says his timeline is, is 2036. He jumps to another world line in 1975. When he pops into 1975, turns his machine off, he's in that timeline. All of a sudden, that, that world line becomes B, just because he's there. Then when he jumps to 2000 and lands in there, cuts the time machine off just because he's there, all of a sudden that world line becomes C. Mm-hmm. It's like, and then he has to kind of like work his way back or something. I mean, it kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of confusing if you try to wrap your head around it, but I just think it was it, the interesting thing about that is that this really went completely against any sort of knowledge that we had, whether in science fiction whether in, you know, uh, popular culture, this was mm-hmm. this was kind of a, a, a departure, you know, in the mm-hmm. idea of time travel. Yeah, because I think we all, especially around that time, and that you know, there are plenty of time travel movies mm-hmm. up until then. Uh, but you know, the Terminator comes to mind. Back to the Future, of course, um, and you know, all of those movies kind of hint toward the. Like you said, the what is it called? The bootstrap. Well, there's one. Yeah, it's like the bootstrap paradox or the grandfather paradox, where yeah, where you if you like confront yourself or someone in your family, you could be, you know, uh, changing, yeah, y- you know, your own future and existence and stuff. And um, which, which I th- sorry to cut you off, but no, uh, I think a lot of that too comes from there's a, a I think it's a short story I, re- I read it years ago, but there's a, a Ray Bradbury story called The Sound of Thunder. And basically this, this group of people take their time machine, they go back to the dinosaur age. Um, you know, they, they're told, don't touch anything, don't change anything, but they're going to hunt a dinosaur, basically. And yada, 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 somebody gets scared. They veer outside of the path that they were supposed to be on. They go back to the, their time machine, go back to the future, and they look down, and the dude has a crushed butterfly on his boot. Well, then they exit the time machine and everything's completely changed. And so that's where the butterfly effect comes from and the idea that like, oh, you change one little thing over here and it could be mm-hmm. detrimental, which I th- I don't know that he ever said that that wasn't the case, but I think he just kind of said, well, it doesn't really matter because... At some point, like essentially from 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 how I kind of can put it together in my mind... And then again, because there's so many posts and so much information mm-hmm. and so many questions that he answered and stuff, it's kind of hard to um, to kind of keep track of without just spending months kind of just oh, yeah. dissecting it all. But to me, it kind of seems like <clears throat> even though you – so you can make changes and experiment with different outcomes in different timelines, ultimately because those changes are going to be made in this universe, then you can see kind of the outcome of that but not have to stay in it. And because I guess like the ethic, 
the ethical part about it is like if you can go back to your timeline, mm-hmm. then you know like, well, I didn't ruin the world because I'm just coming back. And all of us are kind of still there because it's just a parallel right. of whatever that other existence is. And and um, and so it gets a little bit like it gets a, it makes you a little dizzy when you start <laughs> to think about it too much. So, I mean, I think like for like who he is, what he's on this mission for, like he initially uh, came back to – uh, find that computer and then traveled into like the ni- 1998 and 2000, early 2000 mm-hmm. or, you know, the 2000, 2001, almost on, on like a personal kind of mission. And he kind of explains that in a different post. Yeah, which th- that's oh, the right. one thing that I don't totally, I know that he's, I know that he mentioned that he had, he kind of became attached to some people and, and all mm-hmm. that. But does it ever really break down why he comes to or why he stops back in 2000 before going back to 2036 yeah like i read i read uh one of the uh let's see hold on i'm trying to find where i saw kind of an answer to that so in in one of the in one of the in one of the hundreds of message board posts he kind of talks about how he every single one of these sort of soldiers charged to do whatever mission it was they also have like a secondary mission which is if they notice something that uh you know is of any apparent interest in regards to that sort of final um you know scary end of of 25 whatever it mm-hmm. is um then you know take note and or yeah, potentially kind of make some changes or something. So it's like that's kind of why he was there. I also read this thing where basically during that time, because a lot of people question, well, what did he do during that whole time? Where was he? Where was it? And, and um, he told uh, one of the one of the other users that he ended up kind of having a friendship with that we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, he told her that he was spending time with his parents and mm-hmm. uh the younger version of of uh you know being able to see the younger version of it of himself which he would have been and, uh, like like one two, two or three basically. yeah 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 that that was one of the things that i thought was interesting too is like uh like you were saying you have your sort of your primary mission and then you have this sort of any sort of uh secondary like sort of fact finding you know missions or or whatever like a lot of his so he was in a unit of seven other guys and they were called temporal drivers which that's awesome that is a killer metal band name um yeah but he you know they would go on all these sort of missions to to look at sort of alternate ways of sort of fixing these sort of catastrophes or whatever and you know that that is the one thing that i think you know it's easy for like the true believers like us to sort of use this as the example but it's tough for the the skeptics to say well this you know he said that you know in 2005 uh, a civil war begins it starts in 2004, 2004. and ends in 2015 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know it's it's hard for the skeptics to say well that didn't, clearly that didn't happen but you know if you believe the stuff it's like well maybe these things did happen because he did make these little changes mm-hmm. you know so it's one of those things that you kind of have to ha- you know, suspend your disbelief on and you either read all the facts and give in and say, you know what, I think this could, there could be something to this. Or you're just one of those people that's just, you're not going to get it. And that's fine too. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now we know like who he is, his basic reason for being here. Let's talk a little bit about the just like the time machine uh, in in general. One thing the the there was a world war that also eventually happened. I guess when Russia. So so basically, we had we had sort of split from like the government. I think, and so Russia like sends a nuke our way and, you know, bombs the U.S., and it starts off this world war, um, and it ends up killing three billion people, which is pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Then, ultimately, America becomes the AFE, the American Federal Empire. It wins the war against the European Union, and China is destroyed. Obviously, Europe is defeated. Uh, A lot of different things that are pretty cool happens, like the Constitution is rewritten after the war, we no longer have one president. We have five that are kind of serving like staggered. So when one ends, there's still another one. And and then the vice president is in charge of the Senate. Um, it, it's pretty interesting. I mean, especially if you look at it as like, okay, if this guy is making up all of this stuff, then... Man, it's so detailed. God, it's detailed. Yeah. I mean, in everything from like literature, literature to math to physics to agriculture i mean he was a soldier but he was like he was like a real big into like like agriculture and that was one of the things mm-hmm. too that he was supposed to sort of gather information on or whatever you know because that was a big part of of living in uh in 2036 because everybody mm-hmm. was sort of self-sustainable here's what's cool so on these message boards, one of the uh, users uh, named Pamela uh, asked, by the way, can you tell me what it feels like to time travel? When you're in the process of doing it, what does it feel like? You know, just like any of us, if if we really did have access to a time traveler mm-hmm. and we're able to kind of just ask them questions, these are the types of questions that, you know, people would ask him. And he was really kind of forthcoming and in so much detail. So do you can do you, can I read like his response? Oh, yeah, go I mean, for it's it. pretty cool. So he says, interesting first question. The unit has a ramp up time after the destination coordinates are fed into the computers. An audible alarm and a small light start a short countdown at which point you should be secured in a seat. The gravity field generated by the unit overtakes you very quickly. You feel a tug toward the unit, similar to rising quickly in an elevator, and it continues to rise based on the power setting that the unit is working under. At 100% power, the constant pull of gravity can be as high as 2 Gs or more, depending on how close you are to the unit. There are no serious side effects, but I try to avoid eating before a flight. No bright flash of light is seen. Outside, the vehicle appears to accelerate as the light is bent around it. We have to wear sunglasses or close our eyes as this happens due to a short burst of ultraviolet radiation. Personally, I think it looks like you're driving under a rainbow. After that, it appears to fade to black and remains totally black until the unit is turned off. We are advised to keep the windows closed as a great deal of heat builds up outside the car. The gravity field also traps a small air pocket around the car that acts as your only oxygen supply unless you bring your own compressed air with you. This pocket will only last for a short period and a carbon sensor tells us when it's too dangerous. 
The C204 unit is accurate from 50 to 60 years a jump and travels at about 10 years an hour at 100% power. You do hear a slight hum as the unit operates and when the power changes or the unit turns off, there is a great deal of electrical crackling noise from static electricity. We will return after these messages. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. You're listening to That Would Be Rad. So that's his answer to what does it feel like and what does it look like. Mm-hmm. Um, to time travel, Which is and, and then she, fascinating. she's just incredible, man. Because it's just like those details. Uh, I mean, no matter what, if this is a hoax, the guy is a great storyteller because I could like physically see and experience that, and it just it's super exciting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. One one thing too that I think is worth noting about this again, you know, all the skeptics are going to say, well, you know, you have your time machine in the trunk of. Uh, and I know it says a lot of places that it's a Corvette, but a lot of like the heavy duty car guys like can't quite figure it out because some say it's a Camaro, others say it's a Corvette, but this time machine, which weighs about 500 pounds, is kept in the trunk. If you think about it, you know, something being 500 pounds, you couldn't just carry around with you. So obviously having it in the back of a car is the best way to go because, mm-hmm. you know, it's mobile. You don't have to lift it up. But the difference is with this and Back to the Future is the car isn't going anywhere. You're just in the car. It, mm-hmm. You don't have to get up to 88 miles an hour and, you know, break the time barrier or anything. I mean, it just you're just in this sort of bubble when the time machine, you know, kicks up mm-hmm. or whatever. Which, by the way, he it, did supply, which we'll put these in the notes, but he did supply the cover of the manual, a picture of the time machine, like all these sort this sort of evidence, which... A lot of it has disappeared and has gone to the way of history, but uh, which that's another thing that I think we should talk about later is like what happened to all this evidence. Yeah, and and kind of like what you're talking about in terms of the the vehicle. So one of the posts, someone asks, you know, and I'm guessing maybe because of the the weight that he describes of the the 500 mm-hmm. pounds, someone like Point Blake. I don't know why they picked this vehicle, um, but because I own a Jeep, that's pretty awesome. They say, "Is the vehicle a Jeep?" And he says, "No." It's a 1967 Chevrolet. Yeah, so he just said Chevrolet. He doesn't say. Yeah, and and so like he talks later because someone else um, at some point asks why that vehicle. And he basically says that he wanted to pick something that wouldn't necessarily stand out in any point during that time. And if you think about it, I mean like even now if we saw some 1967 Chevy that wasn't like, you know, fully restored or something sitting on the side of the road, or in a parking lot. Yeah, you wouldn't. You know, it'd be pretty easy to just kind of overlook it. And and then so that's part of the reason why he chose well, uh, that. Well, vehicle. also he, 
originally he was in a 60, you said 67? Mm-hmm. Originally he was in a 67, either Camaro or Corvette, but then later he ended up switching it out to an 80s model. He just says 4 by 4 truck. Uh, nice. So, you know, that's another thing. Just because, I, and I think he said because it was just more, it had 4 by 4 you know, so it was more mm. practical. Now, one thing that is important to kind of note that I think is pretty cool, if he was, um, you know, truly a time traveler, there there were some, there was a sense that he did like ethically want to protect certain pieces of information. Like he refused to answer questions that would uh, benefit, you know, any individuals from like questions about the stock market. In other words, he didn't want to... Um, you know, create like a, a Biff Tannen uh, scenario where... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Biff Tannen Museum. Dedicated you know, the Cubs win the World Series and somebody America's bets on that, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So I thought that was kind of interesting in, in terms of he was very open about answering certain things, especially details about, you know, 2036 and, like you said, the World War mm-hmm. Three essentially that capped off all those years of war. So, you know, there was war, civil war in the U.S. And then towards the end of of it all and then into 2015, there's like a really kind of bad World War Three, mm-hmm. And then after that, things kind of tend to sort of balance out. And, and at some point, too, someone asked him, you know, about all that. And he said, you know, it's kind of weird because, you know, how do you how, how would you feel if you had to and if you had the knowledge and someone asked you a question and you have to look them in the eye and say tomorrow? You know, yeah. one million people die. Well, you know, it's not very comfortable, but his life in many ways, according to him, is a little bit better. Um, people are people have returned kind of back to just having an interest in other people, being yeah. outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. one so. of the things, too, that I think is interesting is he had a real distaste for the people of, like, our generation or our time because, you know, Basically, we kind of led to, we kind of led to all this stuff happening. So our sort of like greed and and you know he 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 kind of goes into a lot of that. Like when people would say, "Well, who won this baseball game?" or or tell me what the price of of gold is so that I know how to calculate what the stock market will be around this year and and all these sort of questions that are you know they're kind of I mean they're normal questions. I mean. Any average person would go to that, but like to him, that was you know that that kind of like went along with with the sort of greed that he sort of incorporated with the people of of our time. Oh man, I just got a text from our buddy Christian who said the Mandela Effect episode is going in his top five. Oh, nice! Shout yeah. out to Christian. Thank you, brother. Let's talk a little bit about what the significance is of those faxes kind of coming in uh, to and being sent to. Art Bell and who he was in his right. show. Um, so for all of you that have kind of been on this train for a long time, you definitely know who Art Bell is. He's he's kind of the godfather of, like, the paranormal um, and, you know, long-form kind of radio shows like Joe Rogan or, you know, podcast even. You know, before podcast and before all that stuff, he was the guy. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be in God's universe. I'm Art Bell. And this- before Art Bell, there was a guy uh, called Long John Neville who 
was a late, another late night guy out of New York. Uh, I think he even started broadcasting in the fifties, but he would do these long form, you know, middle of the night, three to five or, or something like that. And he would talk about UFOs and, you know, the paranormal and stuff. And so Art Bell, I think kind of went along with that trajectory and he was the guy. He, I can remember the first time that I discovered him. Uh, I was in another band at the time and my drummer and longtime buddy who I haven't talked to in a long time, a guy named Shane Lindzen, you know, got me hit to Art Bell. And I, I, I had no idea who Art Bell was. I'd never heard of him. But he was this guy who, you know, we would be touring all over the country and any, no matter where you were at night, you could pretty much always like, you know, roll the dial through and you would find him. And he had this unmistakable voice that, you know, he sounded like he had smoked billions of cigarettes throughout his life. <laughs> he was just awesome. He was like this guy who, and and keep in mind too, there was just this like whole kind of vibe about it. I mean, you would, you would turn your radio on, you would hear like this classic theme song coming on, you know, from the high desert to the, you know, low plains or whatever you would say. And, and it just had this, uh, you know, he, and he would broadcast from his house. He was like a, like a long time, you know, ham operator, ham radio operator. And he built like his own antennas in his backyard. He, he lived like out in the Nevada desert, kind of close to area 51, I think. Um, and he, he was just this, this guy. So there was a whole vibe about him and he, he was kind of gruff, but at the same time, he his big thing is he, he would have these open lines. And so people would call in or uh, he would have like the wild card line where somebody would call in about random stuff. He would have east of the Rockies line, west of the Rockies line. And if you go back and listen to those episodes and you really give it a chance, because, you know, they're pretty long, but like you can find a good bit of them on YouTube now. But man, it's just, it's so nostalgic and so cool. And I have such a great place in my heart for for Art Bell. He passed away, I think, two years ago now, and oddly enough, on uh, Friday the 13th, which was uh, pretty hmm. awesome. But he, he started out in the 80s, you know, being kind of like a regular host and like a radio host. And he would do, every now and then, he would have these call-ins. And he realized that, like, everybody was really responding to stuff about the paranormal or stuff about anomalous, you know, objects or ufos or or cryptids mm -hmm. or whatever and he realized that like hey wait a minute there's like a big hole that needs to be filled in this market of radio or whatever mm -hmm. and uh yeah so he would do this thing all through the night a lot of truck drivers you would get calling in a lot of uh yeah, people like reporting like sightings yeah. or even their own like abduction experiences yeah all all kinds of stuff he would have like you know, uh, I mean, just wild stuff. But the thing, what I was going to say is that the, the thing that was really great about Art Bell is he, while he had this kind of no-nonsense kind of gruff sort of delivery, he would he would always entertain whatever they were saying. And, I mean, he had some, like, real lunatics, Colin, who clearly were mm -hmm. out there. And, you know, after a while, if they were just over the top, like, no, this dude's this dude's crazy you know, he would shut it down. But for the most part, I mean, even if the story was just wild and it was like, oh, well, this guy's from 2036 time travel, he would entertain it and he would he would mm -hmm. ask legitimate questions as if it was 100% true. And I think that was really great. Instead of the, 
you know, especially instead of like being demeaning. Yeah, and or, especially at, you know, at the time when we had you know X Files had just come out, and it was in that era where like you know Fox would air like the Alien Autopsy, and you know it was mm-hmm. kind of the height of this sort of resurgence of like UFOs, like mainstream interest. In yeah, all that stuff. but but it's yeah. funny because it, as popular as that stuff was, you know, you still had. I mean, even to this day, like from the '90s until now. You know, if somebody if somebody's on a newscast, your local news, you turn it on, and and this person saw a UFO. You know, they're gonna play the X Files music. It's gonna mm-hmm. be a little, even if it's just like tongue in cheek, kind of condescending a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He thinks he saw a UFO, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know, even till now, uh, I think I think without Art Bell, we wouldn't have the paranormal landscape. Um, of, of openly being able to talk about these things in all seriousness, uh, it mm-hmm. wouldn't exist. So, yeah, sorry to ramble, but I just I love Art Bell so much. Um, but anyway, he, I guess, he, I mean, he had a segment specifically for people who said, you know, like who he would want them to call in if they were time travelers. Because I, 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 but he was talking about essentially where his whole theory is like, look, if, if time travel does exist, then there's high probability that there are some among mm-hmm. us. And right. so at this point, I want to invite them to call the show and tell us about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and that was the thing too is, uh, I mean, there were several guys that would call in and one was called like Madman Markham. There was another guy that was from like 2856. Uh, you know, through the years, there were several, like, like what he's saying, he would have like an open line and, and these things that he was kind of fascinated in, you know, he would, he would just be like, okay, for the next hour, we're going to have an open line for anybody out there that's a time traveler, call this line and let's talk. And, uh, you know, the madman Mark, Marcus Markham, we'll have to, I'll have to look it up, but he was another guy who was this sort of this shut in, you know, guy that was kind of a weird dude. And he, he claimed that he was building like a time machine in his garage and like he had used it once and like shut off the whole power grid to his like town and like all this stuff. But I got to say, like out of all these and I mean, some of the, you know, some of the people would have like really interesting things. And one guy even called in that kept calling Art Bell like senator and he and he claimed that in his timeline, uh, Art Bell was actually a senator, which, you know, that's that's pretty funny and, and cool. But mm-hmm. but nobody, and I mean nobody, had like the amount of detail. And, and another thing too is uh, if you do listen to Art Bell, uh, you know, if you are a fan and you know about it, the one thing that I, that I do think gives credit to John Teeter is the fact that he never called in. He never, like – he wasn't doing this stuff to like get on the radio or to become famous or to like, he was so ambiguous and so like under the radar that, you know, I, I, th- I think that gives a little, a little more mm-hmm. credibility too, you know, for sure, man. One thing that I do think is, is really cool and kind of funny because we were just talking about CERN is, um, that's what he says. He says in two, in 2020 is when CERN starts, playing with the idea of time travel and it wouldn't be until 2034 that time travel is, you know, possible, uh, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. And also not 
surprising at all. Yeah, and totally right in line with what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, the Mandela effect and CERN and all that stuff. He also said in one of his posts that in 2036, time travel is not, it's not a secret, right? right? It's much more common. The basis of their missions in his seven-man unit, for example, is to go back in time and retrieve certain things and also, um, well, certain things for kind of not necessarily like the rebuild of society uh, in 2036, but in a way kind of like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, just the the wording of like his his time machine is is a lot. I mean, uh, he mm-hmm. says, my time so. machine is a stationary mass temporal displacement unit manufactured by General Electric, which, you know, there's a good chance that your refrigerator is a, is made by the same company. <laughs> uh, the unit is powered by two topspin dual positive singularities that produce a standard offset tipler sinusoid. Um, I will be happy to post pictures of this unit, uh, which he did, which, mm-hmm. you know, the thing is, to, and that's another thing. So he sends a picture of the actual thing sitting in the trunk of the car, and that's that's where the the back and forth goes between like the heavy duty car what model yeah the car it's like a lot of a lot of them are like no that looks a lot like a a corvette and others are saying no that's a that's a camaro trunk but you i mean he he posted pictures and to this day nobody's still been able to figure out what exactly it is it doesn't really it it's definitely military grade or at least looks military grade like some sort of I don't know. You know, the skeptics are saying, oh, well, maybe it's like a, a like a rocket launcher box or like some sort of even some sort of uh, like foreign military box of some sort, you know. But but still to this day, nobody can, you know, which I find pretty fascinating that in 2020, with all of the resources that we have over the Internet and the connectivity between, you know, each other and trying to figure things out across the globe, we still can't figure out what this thing is. And I don't know if you want to get into this yet, but one thing about this is I feel like there's so many sort of like exterior characters, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of around it, the supposed attorney for the Teeter family, Larry Haber and his brothers, or this Metheny guy, what's his name, Pat Metheny, or no, wait, Pat Metheny? Joseph. Joseph Metheny? Joseph Metheny. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I think Pat Pat Metheny, he's like a guitar virtuoso. You know, there's all these. Uh, there's John Teeter too, who claims to be like an actual clone sent back. Um, so there's a lot of things that, that honestly, I think only discredit, only help kind of shed sort of a shady light on it. No, yeah, no, I I, I want to get into those characters, especially Joseph, um, whatever, however you pronounce the last name, Mathemy or whatever Mathemy. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say like the interesting thing about the machine itself. Uh, like we've said earlier, it's like 500 pounds or whatever. This guy in 2004 actually kind of reverse engineered everything based on John Teeter's posts, and then and then basically patented the mm. the, the design in 2004. Wow! And so there's like um, there's a picture of it and, and everything at the at the patent trademark office based on all of those initial descriptions. And stuff. Wow. And, and so, so one thing that, and sorry if we're bouncing around, there's so much to the story and there's so many fascinating things. So it's just hard not to like, and then there was this, and then there was this. Mm-hmm. But what was, what was the deal with, you and I started talking about this yesterday with like the, there's like a theory that maybe when he went back 
he sent in that initial fax or something? What was yeah, the deal so basically, well, let's introduce like the exil- like the other characters in this in this the bigger picture story of all of this. Okay. First character that we're going to introduce is uh, a lady named Pamela Moore, right. who was the person on the message boards originally that basically interacted with John Teeter the most mm. and even sort of kind of developed a friendship with. Mm. Um, some folks say maybe potentially a romantic one. And in those early posts, in fact, when he said, hey, uh, when he said, hey, I'm happy to post pictures, the response was, that he asked, is there a place or some way that without having to give my personal information a forum that I can do that to upload the photos? And she basically said, well, just message them to me, not message, but like I'll contact you outside of this essentially. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of the conversation went uh, in another one of her posts, as well as the photos uh, that she, I guess, put on a side and hosted or or whatever. Mm -hmm. So Pamela Moore is an important character in this because she was the one that was just asking so many detailed, detailed, detailed questions. Yeah. And her, like, this is super fascinating. One of the reasons for her just kind of being blown away by all this is back in, like, 1998, she had, like, this extremely oh, detailed yeah. dream about a time traveler. And she essentially, when all of a sudden Teeter appears on this bo- uh, message board, was reminded in all of the ways that he answered her questions about that dream, and it just kind of blew her away. And 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 they ended up having sort of conversations outside of the the message board too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they started private messaging, and then again, kind of circling back to the beginning when we talked about the way the internet was and stuff back then. Back then, you could you could. I mean, I think AOL Instant Messenger was a thing, Yahoo Messenger, right. whatever, by that time in, in the early 2000s. So they started messaging outside of the Art Bell forums and all that and kind of having a more in-depth conversation. Uh, sometimes she would post, with his permission, the details of those conversations and questions that she had. Mm-hmm. So later, this Pamela lady was kind of interviewed and asked about certain things you know, throughout this time, different facts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And she says that one thing about the faxes that were so bizarre to her, uh, so bizarre to her, is that not one single person sort of remembered them in 2001. Wow. And yet they were obviously only a few years old from 1998. No one made the connection when John was here, she said. Not even the diehard time traveler Art Bell fans. You'd think that at least one of those people would have remembered about them. They were not even found until John left, like they magically just appeared in the timeline. Mandela effect. Yeah. Another interesting thing about Pamela is John Teeter mailed her a part of the IBM 5110 label, not the IBM 5100 logo, Mm. and kind of goes into a helpful discussion of the differences between the models. And she sent a picture of the label as well to this person that interviewed her. Which the 5110 Um, would not have that that component in it Hmm. so that's interesting she also has said that she has an ongoing relationship with the person claiming to be john teeter's mother Kay, facilitated entirely by this guy who is the next character we're going to introduce named larry haber so larry haber is a lawyer and i want to say it's a contract lawyer or something like that down in florida Mm -hmm. who's been kind of tied to this whole thing so there's a Um, an organization now called the John Teeter Foundation. Very mysterious. No one knows almost anything about Mm -hmm. it. Larry Haber 
essentially is acting as the, you know, legal representation for this person claiming to be John Teeter's mother, Kay Teeter, and never gives any details outside of just, you know, simple things. But it's interesting that he was the one sort of facilitating these quote-unquote packages that were being sent to Pamela Moore. Pamela said that uh, the latest package she received had several things in it. One, a letter from Kay, a letter from John, and an album with a record inside and a CD with some songs on it. But she said that she's keeping what was on it secret because she is not really sure why he sent those to her. Uh, She received it in September of 2016. She said that Kay's letter was just a nice personal letter, thanking her and apologizing. She couldn't be more communicative, but fear kept her from, you know, communicating more. To me, this is where some of the doubt kind of comes in. Like, as hard as that is to believe, like, you know, the whole time travel thing, it's like, I'm cool with that. But to me, it's like when Larry Haber kind of comes into the picture, um, Mm -hmm. you know, supposedly the family was kind of bombarded and like, people were making road trips down to like, and they would show up at, at John Teeter's house and like all this stuff. So that's what sort of compelled them to get a lawyer, which enter Larry Haber to me. I don't know. I, I don't know how much I believe him at all. I don't know that. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's totally plausible actually that he never talked to a K Teeter at all. And, Mm -hmm he just kind of jumped on this bandwagon to get like notoriety. And I mean, cause you know, he's given interviews on this Italian uh, television show called Voyager, I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, and he's, he's doing interviews on coast to coast and, and all this stuff. And I just like, he, the, the thing about him that, that just, I don't know, it, it's, it gives a little distrust is like, he's the kind of guy who, he kind of plays off like the, yeah, I don't even really know anything about it. You know, I was just contacted mm-hmm. and, and that's it. It's like, okay, first of all, you're an attorney. So if somebody contacts you, the first thing you're going to do is do every bit of digging you can on the internet to find out about, you know, who you're representing. And so mm-hmm. the idea that like he says, yeah, you know, the only way that I even knew anything about him is, is my son was like, oh, dad, dad, you got to check this out. Uh, you know, there's a time traveler and this and that, but it's like, that just doesn't line up. Cause at the time, I think it, when it's broken down, like his son would have been nine years old and it's like, okay, you're telling me your son's up listening to Art Bell from one until three and four in the morning. Like, yeah, it just doesn't. And even to this day, even like the most sort of recent, any sort of like interviews or whatever with Larry Haber, he's still kind of playing down like knowing anything, which I just don't, I, I just don't buy that. Well, even Pam, even Pam after kind of, and, and the, the letter to Pam from John, uh, I've actually got some of the text here, which is kind of interesting. It says, dear Pam, over what has been 15 years, I've considered you to be a dear friend who deserves the best explanation I can give. You should know that your efforts played an important role in allowing me a chance to get home. He then went on to explain how he was communicating with more than one or she was communicating with more than one John and other Johns may arrive and they need the post to stay up on the Internet as long as possible, Mm. which kind of goes into this 
other section um, about something else, and I'll talk about that in a second. But Pamela even says that, look, it sounded kind of like the same person that wrote me all those years before, but there was a little bit of a difference. You know, is that because I'm older now? Is it a different version of John that I'm talking to? But this kind of starts to lead into this other direction of why or why is it important for things to be online for any John Teeters coming to visit in the past? And this is really also another cool thing. Mm-hmm. I want the listener to imagine that you're going back in time, right? And you've got to leave a message for either another version of yourself and whatever. Right. Now, yes, you could write it on a piece of paper. You could write it on a stone tablet, mm-hmm. whatever. But as we all know, things can easily be destroyed, right? Yeah. And so if you were going to leave a message, one of the best ways to do it, even if it was in the early infancy of of, uh, existence in the early days of the Mm -hmm. internet, would be posting on these forums. And so there's this like theory because of one of the, this website that was released by the John Teeter Foundation. If you go to it, there are all these numbers and like almost like coordinate type data essentially Mm -hmm. posted. And there's this Latin phrase that, well, first it says, 177 Tempus Edax Rerum. That's actually his badge. That's the insignia yeah. from his... The insignia is on there and it says basically... It's um, like time is the devourer of things or something. Oh, time devours all, all things. things. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's, that's yeah. amazing. And essentially it has all these dates from like December 28th, 1999 and it'll say like 2.480. And so there's this like idea that and it says like there's one column that's like labeled for John one, and then another column that says John two, and it's like you know good luck John, and it's like this theory that basically he has posted these things for himself to find. Like if you just landed in this t- in a time and you're like, um, what can I do? Uh, let me search the internet, and you search John Teeter. Yep. You know, if if you know that you're supposed to leave some sort of signal or message or data behind to help you get back to your own timeline. That essentially is kind of what 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 this is talking well, about, and which is, and that's a good point because one of the things that I think is really interesting is at the time, you know, all of the skeptics were saying, "Oh, well, if this was a real time traveler, he, you know," and it's this it's the cliche, same with like UFO, same with Bigfoot. It's like, oh, well, if if he's a real time traveler, he's going to show up on the White House lawn, and it's like, no, but. It again, it gives a little more credibility that he had the forethought to think, oh, well, the best way I know how to do it, you know, you're going to have the internet, you're going to have search capabilities. So if you put in a name, it's going to pop up. And so Mm -hmm. I'm just going to put this on this, at the time, you know, this obscure like message board, but which later I think, well, I, I think we should bring this up now. One of the things that sort of has thwarted his efforts is almost a hundred percent of all of those files have uh have been corrupted from the the original art bell site which is really pretty Mm. interesting and there's also the idea that like you know and a lot of people will tie this into the mandela effect and stuff but like all traces of this Anything that we're talking about right now, the only reason that we have any of this is because of, you know, people archiving it, people taking pictures of their computer screen, of these these uh, these conversations, message boards, you know, people just back them up and archive the whole thing. But if we didn't have that, all this stuff 
would basically just be urban legend and you know that would be it so mm-hmm. that i find that interesting that like you know if this is if this is all just like fake then then how how is it that all this stuff is is corrupted and missing and you know all that and there's also several several things which you know all to me all roads lead at you know lead to mandela effect but there are a lot of things that you'll find where these old school dudes are talking about you know well he posted these pictures of you know a b or c and but now those things are missing now you can't find those things anywhere mm. which i you know i find that pretty interesting as well yeah so do you know about this like john teeter letter from november of uh, 2009 no Again, this is a letter that was released by the John Teeter Foundation. Which, hold on, let's just say this too. The CEO of the John Teeter Foundation is Larry Haber. Mm-hmm. I, and again, I, continue. Yeah. All right, so here's the letter. It says, greetings. I'm the man you know as John Teeter. Correction. I am one of the men you know as John. Yeah. In 1999, I was the second to arrive on the same world line as the other men you know as John. It was I who wrote the posts in November and January. When I return to 2001, I will write for the final time in March. My mother will release this message to you in November of 2009. The other John wrote the posts in December and February. He too will write his final posts in March of 2001. As I write this now, the date is March 22nd, 2009, and the divergence is 1.941. This is not the first time I've been in your future. I was here before writing the first post in 2001. I tried to warn you. you. I tried to wake you. you. As time passes, I fear you will witness the transition from your apathy and dependence to your children's fall into bondage. Mm. I feel sorry for you. You will not know the peace and freedom I will have when I return home. In spite of my efforts, the war that gave that gift to me may come to you much later. To prove to you who I am, a friend will corroborate the significance of the musical group, the B-52s. I'm sorry about the strife and difficulty you have had these past few years. It was required. As I said, after 1975, when I arrived in 1999, there was already another John there. The two of us devised a plan to return to separate world lines, The plan required that each of us travel to different time periods between 1998 and 2009 and take measurements with our displacement machine. We had to find a way to communicate these measurements in a way that would last and could be easily found later. I traveled to 1998 first and left the first fax with Art. The other John traveled there later and was able to find my fax. He then left the second fax. As the plan is now progressing, we were able to use the internet. The posts we made and will make are a foundation we will need to get home. In each month, we will post the measurements we had made in various time periods on different world lines. Every time someone posts about John Teeter after 2001, they will become more permanent and easier for me or another John to find. If the other John or even another John ever arrives in your future trying to get home, he will now see the numbers he needs in these posts. If he were here to hear this message will know what to do. The final measurements are on the website my mother's attorney has overseen. This is the reason we made the posts. With your help, they will last. 
They are a signpost to other Johns who are lost and need our work to return home. For this, I must thank all of you. 177 Tempest Edex Rerum. See, I, I think, and this is, I mean, this is funny that it's coming from a true believer like myself, but I just, I have a hard time. I don't know, there's something about Larry Haber that it just feels, it just doesn't feel quite genuine. And mm-hmm. I feel like also if, like, I don't know, I, I think the original John Teeter stuff uh, that was talked about in those message boards, I feel like if it, if all this were, were so important, then why didn't he go into like, oh, there's multiple Johns and there's this and that, like, I feel right. like none of this stuff sort of opened up into this whole other thing until it basically started coming from Larry Haber. And then secondly, you know, the 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 only sort of interaction we have with John Teeter's family is directly from the mouth of John or Larry Haber. So mm-hmm. I don't even I feel like he's jumped on. I feel like he's I don't even know that there is a, a K Teeter. I mean maybe but uh, Larry Haber has an office in Florida. Supposedly, this is where John Teeter's mother lives, and and a young John Teeter. I don't know, man. It just doesn't. It just feels like he he was kind of just sort of ex- it's almost expanding like a, the story. A, a, yeah, like a it's sort of like an um, um, like he's just being like opportunistic. Yeah. A and it feels bit, very you know? like and, science fiction with like all mm-hmm. these oh multiple Johns. It's very like Terminator John Connor kind of yeah. thing and i just i don't know i mean maybe but i just i don't buy it however yeah. i don't think that uh you know he, he's been inter- interviewed several times like i i looked up some videos recently from this guy called the hoax hunter mm-hmm. he goes by the name like rasmus the hoax hunter or something and i mean he's a smart guy and all and he he's put in like 12 years of like heavy research into this stuff but i just feel like his he's trying to pin everything on well, John Teeter is this guy. And so I think originally his his theory was that it was Larry Haber. And then you find out that like Larry Haber has a brother that's a computer scientist, which he's not really a computer scientist. He's more of like like an IT guy, which, uh, you know, I'm not like taking anything away from just an, an average IT guy. You know, he would be able to do a lot of this stuff, but he's not like this you know, mastermind computer, you know, genius. Like I think a lot of the skeptics make him out to be. Uh, Then this hoax hunter guy eventually leads and points the finger at this other brother, which, which is never talked about. It's like Alvin Haber, I think. I can't remember, but Mm -hmm. I just, I, I think, I think he's putting his efforts into the wrong thing. I, I do believe that there was a, a John Teeter, but I think once Larry Haber comes into the picture, I think that's where it it was sort of derailed, and mm-hmm. I th- it's like a, it's a unfortunate misdirection, exactly. basically. One hundred percent, kind of like yeah. cruds on like everything mm-hmm. else. And you know, I, I can't stress this enough that there are so many pages and pages and pages of these transcripts oh, yeah. from these original uh, message board posts. That I mean, we would never be able to do it justice in terms of how interesting this stuff really really is you know you know one of the one of the kind of side characters that we briefly mentioned earlier was this guy joseph Mm matheny or whatever 
who's a multimedia artist who developed this thing called Ong's Hat, which is a pioneering oh, yeah. sort of alternate reality game. So he's come he's come out and said that <clears throat> after Ong's Hat was um, developed and, and all this, which that, we'll, we'll do a whole was other a, show on Ong's Hat because it's yeah, fascinating too. He he was approached by these folks that he won't name uh, to be a consultant on this very uh, very thing and and create this sort of John Teeter story. You're saying and he, he was in, approached like pre John mm-hmm. Teeter? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so basically, he developed this thing called Ong's Hat. A real quick, very, very 60,000-foot right. sort of explanation of what that is, essentially, is as a literary experiment, Joseph Mathemi basically using things from history, he mixed fact and fiction, essentially, mm-hmm. and created this almost like an urban legend that kind of like took off and took <laughs> took on a life of his own. So much so that like people don't believe him that he's like, then I you know, I created this right. So right. he was approached, and I've read that the timeline matches up perfectly. That it could be a possibility that he was approached by these folks to be a consultant to kind of develop their own sort of thing, much like that, and it being the John Teeter thing. Now, one thing in this article that I read about says is you know although the timeline matches up, I mean basically they're just saying like. You know, that's interesting, but because no one's come forward, there's nothing that we can do to kind of confirm this dude's story. Now, I'll say that I don't know what the motivation behind him kind of saying that. And apparently, I think he was he was actually interviewed on Art Bell's show as well. I, I tried to find Probably, that episode, yeah. um, but, but I couldn't. Uh, it's just super, super interesting. And so within all of the complexities of the the time travel, the complexities of the you know, the quantum physics on how it, how it all works, mm-hmm. the, uh, the details of 2036 and the future and why all these things would be happening, you know, to have this sort of like secondary story with all these other characters that sort of just kind of latched on p- potentially just opportunistically, Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just, um, it's super, it's, it's super interesting. You yeah. Know? Um, I, I, I think, uh, before we go, I think we should definitely uh, just mention a few a few of the things that did come to pass. Uh, and I'd like to kick off with this, which I had never heard this, but I I ran across it uh, last night. Where he's asked about like Nostradamus, did you see this? And he <laughs> mentions he says that he thinks there's a strong possibility that uh, Nostradamus was actually also a time traveler. Hmm. Um, well, dude, I mean, you know, I, you and I have talked about this all the time. And something that I think about a lot is let's just for the for a second, just for the the sake of just talking about it, if I was given the opportunity to travel back mm-hmm. in time, and it's a fun sort of like I don't know cocktail hour Thought experiment question yeah. game thing to to think about. The popular question is like, where would you go and why? Mm-hmm. I kind of like to bend the rules a little bit and say, well, <clears throat> I don't want to pick just one, but obviously, I think almost all of us would say you know, at some point, one of the answers would be to go back in time and try to like make things better, mm-hmm. right? Uh, maybe sure. stop an assassination or, you know, um, or, or to witness like one of the biblical miracles right. or to, you know, just like different things, mm-hmm. right? See Babe Ruth, hit a home run, whatever it is, you would want to go back and do that. See Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so like sometimes I often wonder like if, 
if prominent sort of powerful beings in our, uh, you know, mythology, uh, even pre-Christian mythology, were actually time travelers. Now, one of the explanations that John Teeter gave in a similar question on one of these forums when asked specifically about like going back and, and um, you know, to the days of Christ, for mm-hmm. example. He said that with each, after a certain amount of time, the variance between divergence. the timelines or whatever, yeah, the divergence is, it just continues to grow and grow mm-hmm. and grow. It's like if anybody is a, is a Boy Scout or has done any kind of sort of uh, orienteering, as they say, with a compass and a map, one small degree off in a short distance doesn't really make a humongous difference yeah. in terms of where you end up destination-wise. But over a long length, mm-hmm. that small divergence kind of makes a huge... You could end up like hundreds of miles away, yeah. right? And so he kind of talked about how, yeah, sure, he could go back that far. But there's an equal chance that he would end up on a, on a world line, as he would call it, where you know, Christ just wasn't born or didn't right. exist or something else and, happened. And, and right? doesn't he say it like, um, doesn't he say that anything beyond like 60 years, uh, mm-hmm. you're now introduced to like a 2% divergence and then it just goes up and up and up and up as right. you go further back. Exactly. Some of his other predictions, of course, were like, you know, the Y2K disaster. Which, um, which I think it's, it's good to note. Uh, do you have the quote? He says this right at the very end. He says... Why isn't anyone asking why Y2K didn't hit them at all? Mm-hmm. Which, this is another thing, you know, the Y2K situation, the reason that was a deal is because of, like, multiple programs, like, communicating with each other. And so it would have been, you know, 98, 99, and then instead of going to 2000, they, were, they feared that it would go back to, you know, uh, 1900 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, because the integers would be off and all that, but um, and so, if you look at like his reasoning for going back and getting the the IBM fifty one hundred, you know that kind of plays into. And I think it's interesting that he said this just before, you know, that was like one of the last things he said right before he says, "Bring a gas can with you when your car dies on the side of the road." Farewell. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, I think. You know, I, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe because of that computer, maybe, maybe that was part of the reason that he landed back. Yeah, I mean, the speculation there is speculation that whatever he potentially did in '75 mm-hmm. may have stopped Y2K for us. And, and he kind of, in one of the Art Bell forums, kind of talked about that in a way when he said, "Like, would I be any more believable if I told you I had just stopped a horrible right. event and you won't hear about it because it didn't?" That's happen. a good point. Yeah, you know. Uh, he says that, you know, he doesn't really want the responsibility of being expected to know who lives and who dies. He says, I know it would change me for the worse. Besides, how can you be sure my, quote, inaction now isn't a result of something I've already screwed up and I'm trying to fix it? Yeah. Um, the example of not preventing Pearl Harbor relates to Y2K. Have you considered that I might already have accidentally screwed up your world line? <laughs> yeah. So people would kind of get a little bit nasty here and there and he would, you know, he, he was rarely nasty back, but would kind of be mad at the fact kind of like that. And, you know, he described a lot of different things that haven't really come to pass necessarily, but 
also in a way a lot of them are close kind of hint to yeah man i mean because like the civil war in the united states he says would start in 20 uh, i'm sorry in 2004 describing it as having like a waco type event every month Mm -hmm. and steadily getting worse and then then the conflict will consume everyone i mean that that looks a lot like 2020 yeah, man. And like he talks about like disease and all these other well, things. Well, and, w- and, and one of the things that he talks about too was the uh, the the mad cow disease was more of like a pandemic, which this is kind of mm-hmm. crazy because now we're starting to see like new evidence that like the mad cow disease and like that is like leading to all these like new strands of like Alzheimer's and stuff, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is pretty scary. Mm-hmm. I did like the idea that I just thought this was super bad that uh, he – you know, basically he was in a, like a group of what he calls like, in 2011, he joined a shotgun infantry called the Fighting Diamondbacks. Uh, <laughs> and so like after the world is is like set back to zero pretty much, it's like you have these communities that are, you know, money is completely decentralized. Uh, it's all sort of very community driven. You know, it's not like... Mm-hmm. It's not like how we view it now, but there's just so many cool things about, I don't know. There's so many things like he talks about, he even talks about Bob Lazar and how a lot of the things that he said lines up to, to his world line in 2036. Um, He talked about one of the predictions he made was that our New York city skyline would look different. And there would be there uh, in his timeline, there were missing buildings to me, the most amazing thing was the Stephen Hawking mm-hmm. thing. What was the deal with that? Yeah, so he basically said at some point that Stephen Hawking, he predicted that Stephen Hawking would kind of come back and recount some of his earlier... Um, sort of like hard... I'd say stands. limitations. Yeah, like limitations on space and time travel and stuff, which he did. So, I mean, that's another thing too to that I definitely want to stress. Many, many, many scientists have, have uh, kind of gone over the schematics of his time travel device, the the explanations and the the quantum physics mm-hmm. um, and all of that. And they say, you know what? His stuff is actually pretty sound. Yeah. So even if it is, again, a complete hoax, not only is it just extremely compelling, and, and again, I, I, you guys are going to get tired of me saying it, <laughs> but I urge you, instead of scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or watching whatever... We're talking got to you, to, got to, got to go online and find these transcripts because just oh, the descriptions are just so so cool. Yeah. And um, you know, it's funny too. Like, <laughs> there are also some like humorous responses. Some people like asked serious questions. Some people were kind of jerks. Some people were just like, "Yeah, but" kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But. This one guy posted something, and the second I read it, dude, I just started laughing my butt off because I recently saw this movie. So it says, he's talking to him in this post, and he's like, um, is it possible for you to bump into yourself when you're time traveling? Just saw a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie about that once. I think it was called Time Cop. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't shake hands with yourself. If you do meet, you melt. Yeah. <laughs> well, and his uh, response man. was, no, you uh, more more... Uh, plausible than not, you will meet your, your yeah. whatever. And one thing that I did think was really cool, I think I heard this on a podcast or something, but they kind of went into, this is sort of another, you know, the the concept of like the doppelganger phenomenon where, you know, somebody, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like from ancient, ancient, way back, you know, they would say, well, if you see your doppelganger, which is basically your, 
your double. If you see your doppelganger, it means that you're, you know, impending doom and you're going to die or whatever. But they kind of made the the deal of like or the hypothesis that like, well, maybe maybe seeing your doppelganger is is just that. Maybe you're just seeing, and I don't even know if it's necessarily has to be a time traveler. Maybe you're just seeing that other dimension version of you, you know, converging or whatever. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I know I promised this earlier in the show. And we've just like, because there's so much stuff I didn't, I failed to mention it. And I, I just would be remiss if I, if I didn't. The, one of the coolest explanations that I've heard based on all of these things about time travel is this. Imagine that you yeah. are in an old school barbershop. There are mirrors on, you know, both sides of mm-hmm. you there. You know, a mirror on, yep. on a wall to your left, a mirror on the wall to your right. And you know that effect whenever you look into a mirror and it just kind of like repeats itself and there's just like infinite number, an infinite number of yourself on either side. Now imagine that you have the capability to go from the current room that you're in and step into that other mirror into mm-hmm. the alternate, mm-hmm. essentially, barbershop, right? Now what happens with those other versions of yourself? They're a right. mirror image of yourself and they're doing the exact same thing. this explanation was just a really cool way to kind of like, without having to get into the quantum physics, kind of just think about it in in those terms and being able to Mm -hmm. hop into the other timeline and do things um, like that. It's just, you know, so fascinating. I mean, it's just one of those topics Mm -hmm. that I just think is, there's so much to it, but when you start digging in and imagining yourself back in the year 2000, reading these things and just thinking about what you would do if you were a time traveler. Like you'd hop yeah. into one of these things and be like, okay, I got to tell you about my time. This happened and this happened. And, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, and and also, you know, I know we keep stressing, you know, just how different the landscape looked in 2000 or in 1998. But you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we've adapted as just the norm in 2020. Mm. You know, there's just a lot more, there's a lot more people being condescending and jaded. And like, so, you know, we were a little more like wide eyed and believing and like seeing the wonder in these things as now it's like, everybody's a skeptic. Everybody knows everything because they can Google it. And it's just at their fingertips. And you know, that's something that, that we didn't necessarily have back then, which is which is part of the reason that we love these these things and we love these that particular time. Like I, I know we, we were talking, we're gonna go into a thing called the Mayday mystery. We're gonna go into a thing called the Toynbee Tile mystery, uh, Cicada three three oh one, River City Quiet Pills. Like there's all these sort of early, early internet or pre internet mysteries or what have you that you know, they involve a bunch of like Xerox copies. They involve these these weird like message board internet, you know. And like these are the things that are fascinating because mm-hmm. I th- and I think the reason they're so fascinating to us and that we have such a soft spot for them is that it still involved a lot of digging. It wasn't just like, oh, John Teeter, I can Google it. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that the, the internet's going to tell me is, oh, it's fake. It's j- it's a joke. It's da 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 da. And then everybody's just going to believe that at face value. Yeah. And that sucks. No, 100%, dude. Like you don't, you, it's hard to find that same feeling that you would get from something so mysterious that would take you so long to kind of like dig and figure out. The same goes, is true for like, well, the same is true for like music. You know, we would open up the liner notes of a of, a, of an album and like, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, 
God, I remember being in college early 2000s and having to literally drive to another college library oh, yeah. just to dive into, you know, their microfiche catalog, you know, and spending Water. hours and hours in the Georgia Tech library for like <laughs> research. And, and it's just, it was just another time. And it's so fun to kind of like think about that because like you said, like that kind of mystery well, I mean, frankly, that is what we're hunting. Right, yeah. <laughs> in, in, yeah. Exactly. In like the, just as one of the sort of like pillars of this podcast is is mm-hmm. having that feeling again and researching and then talking about these oh, mysteries yeah. and these cool things so that our listeners can kind of dive in and and learn more about them uh, as, Absolutely. as well. Uh, I know that th- there's probably much better podcasts out there or YouTube videos that spend several hours going into the the depth of the, or the breadth of all this stuff, you know, all these, you know, pages and pages and pages of back and forth between John Teeter. But, you know, this is just our kind of view on the, on a, on a really fascinating topic. And, uh, you know, we hope we weren't too scattered, but, uh, we appreciate you taking the ride with us. Now, Hey, one, one thing before we go, one thing that I'm, that I want to know, and I think we should end the, end it with a question here is if you could time travel, where would you go? I would go back to the early 80s uh, Marvel Comics bullpen. Uh, mm. Well, maybe 70s or 80s. I like the Bronze Age, but I would definitely want to be back in, in uh, you know, what they called the bullpen. It's in a high rise in New York City, Marvel Comics. All the artists, all the editors, all the writers, they're all just in like one big office. They're all like smoking up a storm. They're all wearing suits and ties and... Uh, you know, Stan Lee's over here telling Jack Kirby about this character. Jack Kirby's drawing it. It's just this amazing time. I would love to do that. Okay, well, where, where would you go? A million places. I would want to go a million places. But, um, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, in a way, you kind of want to go back in time, kind of like in uh, Hot Tub Time Machine, the dude turns it to Motley Lou instead of Motley <laughs> yeah. Crue, and he's like the lead singer. Yeah. That would be kind of fun and cool. Um but I don't know. There, there are a lot of times that I want to like, like I want to go back and just like sort of casually be around when like my parents first met, mm. or you know, watching from a distance. Like I don't know, man, stuff like that. You know, like kind of those significant things in my life, like reliving those or or times that you know I wasn't born yet or whatever. Which, but which, by the way, I think you just saying that made me think of this. I, you know, that, like, wanting to know those sort of, like, intimate, I mean, not too intimate with your mom and dad, but, yeah, like, come on, man. but, like, you know, wanting to view your parents as, like, they were, you know, two people in love or, like, their interest before they became, like, quote, unquote, your parents, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that's part of the reason that we even had this, this, uh, we started this podcast is so that our kids can listen back yeah. and know, oh, well, dad was, like, really funny and they goofed off a lot instead of just, like, being like a dad and you're in right. trouble telling us no or, or go to bed early, yeah. brush your teeth. Yeah. 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 And Hey, look, we're following that sort of like John Teeter uh, pattern mm-hmm. and putting it on something that hopefully will outlast uh, a single, you know, piece of paper. Yeah, absolutely. All right. With that, again, I encourage everyone who's listening, who's made it this far and who's still with us to go and read those transcripts of those John Teeter original 
message board posts. They are absolutely fascinating. Hopefully we turned you on to a new story that you've never heard before. That's also one of our goals. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, and, and also uh, for those of you who have never heard of our bell, go look up some of those episodes because, man, it's gold. Mm-hmm. You know, as we say every single week, it means the absolute world to us that you guys come back, interact with us, and listen to our show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, uh, a good place. Hey, Tyler, where can people find us? <laughs> a good place to find us is Instagram. That's pretty much where we do the bulk of all of our social media interactions. If you would like to send uh, some message, you can DM us, or if it's more long form, uh, shoot it to that would be radpod at gmail.com. Uh, like Woody said, you know, we really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. And yeah, you make it all possible for us. So we appreciate you. We love you. And as always, be rad. That's the way it That's the way it goes